Every time I listen to the audio, our audio, I think about how I am turning into Northern Midwestern, whereas I used to have at least a little bit of Southern twang. A little like, bit. <laughs> I feel like it's mostly gone now. And all I do is say, oh yeah, you betcha. Oh yeah. <laughs> Keep her moving. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing Chapter 15, Secrets. Ah uh, yes, the fun kind. <laughs> the beginning part here is a little bit of a jump in time from where we are in the quote-unquote present-day Fitz, because it's talking about Verdi unveiling his warships in the middle of Winterfest, and they are only on the couple, like, the first days of Winterfest right now. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be unveiled in, like, the next one or two days or whatever in the future. But it's saying that he pushed his workers to get these out and ready to go instead of uh, in the spring because they wanted to train people, like, a bunch of reasons. He wanted to keep uh, the war in everybody's mind, mm-hmm. and the threat was still present, while whoever is writing this presumably fits from the future is like nobody was having it everyone just wanted to forget that the raiders existed yeah um it says by choosing the midday of winterfest he ensured himself a large audience both for the launch and for his words so the timing of it is super specifically chosen it seems like normally these things are done at the end of Winterfest um, just because it's like, oh, the weather's getting better now, so we have to start thinking about it. But instead, he chose to have more people hear him. And I don't well, know. It says on the first day of Springfest, it would normally be right, launched, you're right, which would sorry. be another season, another three months or whatever. Right. And I don't know if it was his choice to do this, presumably because I don't know. That Shrewd is really making any decisions at the po- at this point. No, I think it is all Verity. Um, which was kind of a miscalculation on his part, obviously. Kind of, but at the same time, like, it's kind of his job <laughs> to keep like, hey, we actually still have to do this. You can't just forget it for a season and then right. they're back in the spring and then you start training and building. and Right. I mean, it's practical, but I think in the middle of a big celebration where you know people are trying to have a good time it's known for the only time of year that they all indulge in drugs (laughs) yeah it's i don't know feels like not the right timing um and maybe it shows his lack of um oh people personness (laughs) (laughs) trying to think like ketrican has empowering speeches to the people and really rallies them and I don't think Verity naturally has that. Right. Um, I don't think that means that he couldn't possibly ever give good speeches. But um, I think this kind of shows that he's a little bit lacking in this area that his brother presumably was better at. Um, just sad. And so uh, we get into... A continuation pretty much directly from the previous chapter. Fitz has left the king's rooms, 
Verity has left his mind, and he goes out hunting. And he has a discussion with Night Eyes here, basically uh, an unsuccessful attempt to convince him to leave his mind when he is with Molly. Right. <laughs> Trying to explain the boundaries that uh, a private human has compared to a pack animal, things like that. Night Eyes, of course, does not understand, and... Fitz is like, well, I don't know if I can make him understand, but I'll keep trying in the future. Yeah. I also want to point out here, Fitz is worrying about if Verity can sense Night Eyes or not. And Night Eyes has this line that says, he laughed at me hard enough to make you hear me sometimes. Should I batter through to you and then shout for him as well? Which I found very interesting. Mm hmm. Because why does Fitz have a hard time lowering his walls to Night Eyes? Because he doesn't lower his walls for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> like, even with Night Eyes, even with the skill healing and stuff, like, it, it's not automatic. It's mm -hmm. the fool still needs to use the silvered fingertips to forge a connection between the two of them, even though he has done it before. Like, mm -hmm. it's all those things like. It's his very troubled past with a lot of trauma and a lot of trust issues from those things. Adding on top of that what Galen did by building up his skill walls and just his mind is like, nope, protect yourself. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. It's just his natural state of being at this point. Do you think, now this is really going out on a limb here, but do you think somehow... Galen put in a skill, slipped in a skill suggestion whenever he battered down Fitz's walls the first time to um, always have your defenses up or something like always have those walls up so that he would not be able to hear the skill commands later was the thought. Or I, do you think I, I don't think so, partially because when that happened, he wanted Fitz to die and expected him to die. That's fair. And it was like purely reactionary mm, in yeah. their struggle. So, I, I yeah, I, I don't think that was the particular goal or whatever happened. I think it was purely responsive Fitz's mind and body to what happened. Mm. Okay. At least that's my theory for it. Yeah. I just found it really interesting because it seems like Night Eyes has no trouble still seeing through Fitz's senses, even though he's not able to communicate with him which is kind of odd it really makes me wonder how the wit works because it sounds similar to the way the skill works like he can kind of wall off a secret area of his mind that verity can't get to and mm -hmm. you know it's just kind of that yeah i don't know it's weird so interestingly enough after having multiple previous chapters all about how lonely fitz is and how he is never going to find someone who loves him and all this. He walks away from the meeting with Night Eyes feeling like he'll never get alone time again, mm -hmm. which I found a very ironic thing to be upset about because he's been complaining his whole life yeah. <laughs> that he is alone and that nobody cares about him and there's nobody around him and he doesn't have anyone to lean on. And as soon as anything starts happening in his life, he's like, I would rather be alone. <laughs> <laughs> He heads back to his room to seek that solitude. So when Fitz comes in 
Fool is there sitting on the hearth, and he has a semicircle of scrolls around him. Obviously, he hasn't been done looking through them all. He asks Fitz, like, oh, you're back so soon, and he has them grouped into different sections here. And Fitz kind of calls him out immediately, like, hey, why didn't you tell me the king was so bad? And, and the fool's like, I did, but, you know, you wouldn't believe me until you saw it yourself. Mm-hmm. So they have a little conversation there that, obviously, and the fool is right, that Fitz would not believe anything. Mm-hmm. That was coming out of the fool's mouth if he hadn't seen it, because he knows what Shrewd is like, and Fitz is surprised that Shrewd has fallen, and he's appalled that Shrewd has fallen that fast. Right. Right. And we also have the fool pointing out that he is still kind of holding on because the fool has been there taking care of him. Right, yeah, and Fitz doesn't realize it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think he says, um, oh, if I can get this here. Nor do you pause to think what it would have been like had I had not been there every single day. Emptying chamber pots, sweeping, dusting, carrying out dishes, combing his hair and his beard. Yeah, sorry. I uh, <laughs> lost my page. <laughs> I had it underlined in front of me. So. so Fitz again is like, oh, man, I really don't think about any of this, do I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fitz is frightened that the king is declining so fast, and the the fool is also, you know, pretty angry. He's taking it out on Fitz here because the Fitz hasn't thought of any of this, and he hasn't right. given thought to Shrewd's well-being at all while the fool has been doing this. And the fool makes a really flippant, acidic remark of, at least you've another king when this one's been played. And Fitz says, we all do. Some more than others, the fool said shortly. This makes Fitz think about how he almost just lost the king's favor. Instead of getting upset that there's kind of a little bit of smack talk towards Verity, which normally I think (laughs) Fitz would get on top of right away, um, since it's so fresh in his mind how bad Trude is, he's really taken back to, wow, I almost just lost the only token that he's ever given me. That represents my education, my clothing, my home, my freedom in some sense. <laughs> and I haven't even been protecting him. I, I've i just been doing nothing. Yeah. And so he asks, what do we do? <laughs> and Fool, of course, has a nice little glib remark. Uh, you and I, precious little... I am but a fool, and you are a bastard. Which I like to think is a play on words of like, I was foolish to trust you, and you're a bastard for not checking on your grandpa. (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs) Fitz wishes Shade was there, and fool remarks, Shade? Shade returns when the sun does, I've heard. Evasive as always, in Fitz's head. (laughs) Too late for the king, I imagine, he added more quietly. So the fool has seen... The end of King Shrewd mm-hmm. in his head, and he knows that it's too late um, to save him, pretty much. He just, in all futures, I'm sure he's going to die in the short short term here. I, I kind of think that's why Fool turns his attention towards the dragons and the elderlings. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know that for sure, but it <laughs> seems like he turns his attention because his king is no more, basically. Mm-hmm. And he has knowledge that Shade is uh, coming back, and Fitz doesn't pick up on it, even though he's trained in espionage, and this is the second time he's <laughs> referred to Shade as Shade, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So, that's, that's great. Um, literally just a straight straight reference to him pretty much yeah so he starts up gets uh gets going to leave here and as he's making his farewells and almost out the door he turns back and like you have no objections to my going Fitz says I believe I objected first to your staying never bandy words with a fool but do you forget I offered you a bargain a secret for a secret I had not forgotten, but I was not sure suddenly that I wanted to know. Whence comes the fool and why? I asked softly. And the fool makes him repeat this a few times, Mm -hmm. just making him really sure he wants to know. And Fitz is examining the fool as a person and not as the fool, not as Mm -hmm. the jester, and really sees him as this, you know, wayfish very skinny what seems to him kid his age even though he's like about 30 or more i think mid 30s actually but (laughs) um with with his ridiculous rat scepter and his black and white motley trimmed in silver bells they were all the sword and the armor and sword that he had in his court of intrigues and treachery and his mystery so Fitz is like, I, I want to know, but also, like, I don't want to really peel back the mystery from him, because he has, he has empathy with the, with the fool for being a private person, for keeping his secrets, for all of this. He, he is friend to the fool. Yeah. And I think, really, Fitz is the best kind of friend for the fool, because Fitz doesn't typically pry. In this instance, he does, because he's been told that he can get an answer but Fitz is the kind of person where he doesn't ask questions and he just leaves it as it is he allows you to talk to him and so I think that's probably what draws the fool to him or draws him to the fool no that's right the first <laughs> yeah both both ways I guess yes. um <laughs> it's just that it's someone who the fool can not feel like he's on guard with probably most of the time because though Fitz obviously is curious about things, he lets it go and doesn't pester on the right the questions. And before we get to the final time that he asks the fool the same question, I do want to point out that the fool uh glanced around about Fitz's room and then walked over to stand before the tapestry of King Wisdom greeting the elderling. He glanced up at it, then smiled sourly, finding some humor there I had never seen. What do you think he was smiling about? Smiling sourly about? At King Wisdom and the Elderlings. Maybe, like, the answer was in front of him the whole time, and he's just, like, finally realized, like, he needed to know more about the Elderlings, or is it, is it interesting because history is repeating itself? And he doesn't know if it's going to be good in the future. Like, I, I don't know. Hmm. I 
I'm wondering if it's something different entirely. If maybe he sees this moment as similar to the tapestry. It is a farseer, someone in line for the farseer throne, standing next to a creature that is a different species. Yeah, maybe. And they're about to make a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Um, So maybe it's just the... It is history repeating itself, basically, but in a smaller chasm of two people coming together to share secrets. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, also, maybe he realized, like, oh, I'm looking in the wrong place. I need to look for this part of history or something, but... Could be. I like the idea that he found some... Similarities. Yeah. Fitz asks the question once more, whence comes the fool and why? And the fool gets gives us a watered-down version of the history we come to find out. He is from the very far, 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 far south, from a mother and two fathers who are cousins, which is the tradition down in there. Mm-hmm. And they loved him very much. And the fathers were different people. One was a farmer, one was a poet. Uh, and when he grew of age, he left to seek his fortune and his place in history. When we know he actually grew of age and his parents, knowing the stories of the whites, brought him to the school, to Claris. Mm-hmm. And then he left, ran away from Claris to come to Buck. So he has... Uh, has this comment here, all three of them, and the village as well. I was so loved. His voice grew soft, and for a moment he fell silent. I knew with great certainty that I was hearing what no other had ever heard from him. I remembered the time that I had ventured into his room, and the exquisite little doll in its cradle that I had found there, cherished as the fool had once been cherished. I waited. So he bids them farewell. He runs away in this story, or like, leaves them in this story to directly find and come to uh, Buck and find King Shrewd. And before we get into that, I did want to talk a little bit more in depth just shortly um, about the fool's parentage. Yeah. So first of all, in later books, we know that he has a sister, Mm -hmm. which is not mentioned here, whether that is purposeful or not. I'm not sure. Um, We also know that his mother birthed him at a very old age. So -hmm. I find it really interesting that he's describing her when he does as someone that has dark hair, um, dark curly hair. And it also says... Not necessarily. Not everybody grays. That's true, I guess. (laughs) Um, But it also said you might even still find a mother who recalled her wormy white babe, which... Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I thought the reason he finally went to Claris was because his family was sick and old and couldn't take care of him anymore. Mm. I didn't think so, but maybe. I didn't think so, though. I thought they knew it was was like tradition if they knew it was a long gestation period for the mother and it was a a white babe at a certain time. They had to. But he came late to Claris. 
Yeah. That they always talked about it. How he, like, they talk about it a lot, how he came late yeah. and that put ideas in his head or something. And how he should have come sooner. Yeah, I, and I don't know. He said, he says in, at some point, I know he does. I'll have to find it. Um, <laughs> that he didn't want to leave, but he felt that he was becoming a burden to his family. Mm. Yeah. But I'd be interested to read that again. Yeah. But. Um, but I do, I do think that sense of missing the love of his birth family, um, travels throughout all of the series. Um, which is sad because <laughs> as far as we know, he doesn't ever meet up with them again. Right. Also, I didn't think that his dads were cousins. I guess I forgot that. Kishiel. I just thought they were like two guys in love. I don't know. I, I thought of the relationship more of like a polyamorous relationship yeah. than of two cousins and like a wife. I don't know. Yeah, we don't, I mean, she doesn't give much more details on no. uh, um, the family there. So it could be just one of them was married, but like the cousin was a, a package deal, if I could be uncouth right. to say, you know, so I, I, or if both of them were in love, or all three of them were in love or whatever, we just don't know. Yeah. So the fool continues on his story here. And the last part of it is going to Shrewd and then saying, I gathered up whatever threads of fates put into my hands and I began to twist them and color them as I could in the hopes of affecting what was woven after me. Fitz, of course, does not understand. And the fool is like, I offered to tell you my secret. I didn't promise to make you understand it. A message is not delivered until it is understood, I countered. This was a direct quote from Chade. You do understand what I said, he compromised. You simply do not accept it. Never before have I spoken so plainly to you. Perhaps that is what, that is what confuses you. And Fitz once again is like, oh, it makes no sense. How can you find your place in history? History's in the past and everything like that. And the fool starts a little philosophy lesson of... Right, which I do want to point sense out. common sense lesson, you know? <laughs> yeah, come on, Fitz. I mean, I guess he's 15, but... You've he, never he might be sixteen now. <laughs> yeah, he's like sixteen-ish. Um, history's in the past, really. I don't know. That like made me a little frustrated because I feel like, but also he's about to be super high shortly, so maybe True. it's a little bit of the drug clouding his mind. Could be. That's what I'm yeah. gonna be hopeful for because it really feels like he's being too obtuse. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, the fool does say the future is another kind of history, which it is. Once you pass the future, it becomes history. Then. Yes. <laughs> but he Fitz comes back with no man can know the future. I agreed. His smile widened. Cannot they? He asked in a whisper. Perhaps Fitz somewhere there is written down all that is the future. Not written down by one person. No. But if the hints and visions and premonitions and foreseeings of an entire race were written down and cross-referenced and related to one another, might not such a people create a loom to hold the weaving of the future? Preposterous, I objected. How would anyone know if any, any of it were true? Can I just ask one quick question? Does your version 
have not written down by one person. No, that no. K-N-O-W? Yeah. Yes. It's a shortened version of you should know this, basically. Because I think it makes sense both ways. If he had the comma N-O or the comma K-N-O-W. Like, not written down by one person, you should know this. But if the hints and the... It's all by a bunch of people. It's a I mm. I haven't seen it ever before, and it took me like twice reading over this. I'm like, oh yeah, that actually does make sense. It's just weird language. I I think <laughs> I feel like I've seen it written in the Bible <laughs> that way, and so I was like, I don't know. It it would be interesting to see if she took some of the like the cadences of his speech of the fool's speech yeah. when he's saying these more arcane things. Mm-hmm. From older texts, like just inspiration from yeah, like the way that they've yeah yeah they're structured in the sentence structure of things. It definitely gets different. <laughs> That's for sure. It doesn't. It's not the normal. Um, and we'll low. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is what we know to be true. Yeah, he he's hinting at things that is. Fun, also sad, <laughs> to know in a reread of what he's hinting at. But in the first time through, I'm just like, none of this makes sense. Kind of scale. Okay, he knows the future, I guess. Sure. What's this about, like, races and stuff? That's cool, but that's not the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always thought, like, in the first read, that this was, like, a very weird aside. Like, I, it's interesting because it it's supposedly about him but what does he mean cross-reference dreams like what right it didn't make sense until reading the whole Mm -hmm. book i don't think and another race of people like this this is like the first that we kind of hear right the whites as a race as a race because we just think that the fool from our experiences we just think that the fool is an albino child pretty much yeah yeah um but we learn in this series that he is in fact part white right which just quick aside do you think that's like some type of elderling or do you think this is okay hear me out crazy crackpot theory here are elderlings to dragon as whites are to the gods maybe like if you think the gods are dragons. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. That If we say that my theory that dragons are the gods is not right, then there are several gods, presumably, in this world. Maybe there's only a few that are real. But nonetheless... Yeah, I don't if know. If they were... I don't know. I don't know. It's It's hard to say because the whites existed pretty much... At the beginning of time. Yeah. Like... Which lends throughout, And I think they must have lived side by side with elderlings as well. Right. But they died out... The fully fledged whites, I think, died out before the end of the elderling civilizations. So... At least that's what the sense I get in my head. Mm. Because they would just be... Bred out, basically, I guess. Um, yeah, 
because there's less of them than yeah. the surrounding population. Like the full but pure-blooded ones. Also, then why is it in their nature to go to that weird bone castle? Like, what was there to begin with to make it them all... It must have just been like a an island originally, and then when they killed all the dragons, <laughs> or the serpents, or whatever. I don't know. It's just... Ah. We don't know anything about them. And maybe they're like angel, like kind of like angels. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, yeah, we really don't know anything about them. So no. they could be any of the things that we said yeah. or something or else none. entirely. Yeah. I don't know. I just think about that a lot as like they're a completely different species. But as far as we know, the only other species besides whites and humans are the weird creature things on the islands. Well... That are what happens to dragons when they get too close to people. Yeah, yeah. So, basically, the opposite of an elderling. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it just seems odd that there's only... I don't know. Well, he speaks on them a little bit more in this next section here. And mentions that these predictions and this loom of the future was made over tens of hundreds of years, so thousands of years. They have been collecting all of this, and it's mostly extremely long-lived race of people. And it is a different race, a pale, lovely race that occasionally mingled its bloodlines with that of men. And then, and then when certain ones are born, ones marked so clearly that history must recall them, they are called to step forward to find their places in that future history. And it says, like, and they will be called to, you know, shape, shape the future. Do you think that's true? We know that hundreds of whites, well, maybe not hundreds, tens of whites... <laughs> are born like every couple decades to the Claris people. They're breeding yeah, whites. They're, yeah. they're it have horrible practices, but they're mm-hmm. trying to breed a more pure white. Yeah. And all of them seem to have some sort of capability of seeing the future. So I wonder if this idea that there's only one true white prophet is something that they made up so that they could send their agent out and get done what they want to get done. It could be. Or if truly only one person is meant to be holding the path. And if that's the case, how were there ever more than one whites that lived forever that were on the right? You know, I feel like uh, in in the past, they just were called to make a change. And they went out and made their changes mm-hmm. of how... They felt like it should go, and then when they consolidated power, as their civilization grew or whatever, Claris became more of a thing. They were weaving more together. They realized how much power they had. It corrupted, and they chose people to go out into the world and make changes that that person would make that they wanted. Mm. So I felt like it just, in my mind, it just became more selective as the civilization and as the race grew older. Mm. So it wasn't like an initial like, oh, we just <laughs> we just choose one person only ever. I yeah. feel like it was more like a corruption kind of thing because Prilkop, when we meet yeah. him, is like, oh, yeah, they, they were great. Like, it was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's what like 
couple hundred years? 800 years, maybe? Something like that? Probably, yeah. So within 800 years, they corrupted? I don't know how, exactly how well, old Pearl Cop is. Well, there was probably corruption while Pearl Cop was there. It was just less... Less prominent. They probably weren't as, forcibly breeding. Yes, they probably also weren't as powerful yet. <laughs> they didn't have full control. And so Fitz believes that the fool is mocking him when he's saying that the fool is going to weave the future and change things how he wants. And Fitz is getting more into the philosophy here. He's like, I don't believe it, but like no one man can change the future. We're pawns. We're basically just one person in a whole world. And the fool goes on like, oh, how can you believe that when you think a dice roll can change a game? One card can change a man's luck and win a bunch of money. One good deed can change things. Yeah. But a man's whole life, you sniff at and say, what? This not of a human. This fisherman? This carpenter? This thief? This cook? Why? What can they do in the great wide world? And so you putter and sputter your lives away like candles burning in a draft. Not all men are destined for greatness, I reminded him. Are you sure, Fitz? Are you sure? What good is a life lived as if it made no difference at all to the great life of the world? A sadder thing I cannot imagine. Why should not a mother say to herself, if I raise this child aright, if I love and care for her, she shall live a life that brings joy to those about her, and thus I have changed the world. Why should not a farmer that plants a seed say to his neighbor, this seed I plant today will feed someone, and that is how I change the world today. Which is a good way to kind of look at things, is that we are all changing the future every day with mm -hmm. our choices. And that's a reason to live. Yeah. Um, but Fitz, it's going over Fitz's head. <laughs> yeah. I had never seen him so impassioned, never heard him speak so plainly. It was as if I had stirred gray-coated embers and suddenly found the cherry-red coal that glowed in their depths. He burned too brightly. I think this is kind of the start of the drugs kicking in. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Um, Just because... Just overwhelming him. Yeah, he's starting... I think, which we'll talk about later, we see him comparing people to things... A lot more in his uh, a little bit more state. Uh, similes and metaphors. Uh huh. And I think this is a start. I mean, not that there isn't a little bit of that all over all the time, um, but I think specifically seeing him say something like "he burns too brightly" feels a lot like, "uh oh, this is too much." Which, to be fair, if you were starting to get super high, like Fitz is about to be, would not be super fun to be talking to somebody. That's going on about the philosophy of life. <laughs> right. That right. would definitely be a little scary when your brain is not at full capacity. <laughs> and so the fool continues on with his uh, impassioned speech and says that it goes through fits. Keystone, gate, crossroads, catalyst. All of these you have been and continue to be. Whenever I come to a crossroads, whenever the scent is uncertain... When I put my nose to the ground and cast about and bay and snuffle, I find one scent, yours. You create possibilities. While you exist, the future can be steered. 
I came here for you, Fitz. You are the thread I tweak. One of them, anyway. Here we see another dog reference. Mm-hmm. And Fitz is getting some chills of foreboding, he says. He, he doesn't want to hear anymore, really. He hears a wolf bang in midday, a shiver ran up me, setting up every hair on my body. Right. And You've had your joke, laughing nervously. <laughs> <laughs> and before this, we have seen like a, a creeping feeling of, uh-oh, I don't like this anymore. This yeah. isn't fun. And I'm wondering, and this could be another tinfoil hat. I'm just full of tinfoil hat theories today. Um, but I'm wondering if this is like the natural pull of a catalyst learning too much. And if like we know fool is scared to share too much with Fitz in case it puts him on the wrong path or drastically changes whatever Fitz could do. And I wonder if there's like a natural order to where when things are being thought about or, you know, when the veil is being lifted to someone too soon, uh, if there's a natural reaction of, I don't want to hear this anymore because he shouldn't be hearing it. Or if this is just Fitz is starting to get high and <laughs> is getting freaked out. <laughs> I'm not sure. I feel like it might be a little bit of both because he does feel the effects of the drugs very shortly. So, mm -hmm. but I think this is all freaking him out too because he doesn't place importance on himself really. That's true. And all of a sudden, hearing like your friend saying, Hey, I manipulate the future through you, I make you do things for me. He's <laughs> like, What? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna change the entire world. Hey, I, I don't. Leave. I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> Too much responsibility on poor little Fitz. Fitz is like, I don't want to hear this, and the fool's like, you had a chance to deny, deny me, and he recites what the future is if he does not do anything. Right, and I think this re recitation of what the future might be is kind of like what we see come over B in the later books, um, whenever she has to fulfill the prophecy, whenever she's following a path or starts recite, like maybe he has to recite this future thing. It's a compulsion of some sort yeah, because it says his demeanor changes. It says he lifted his staff as if leading a charge and spoke as if he addressed the full council of the six duchies. And then it goes into this talk of how the farseer line has failed mm -hmm. everyone's going to die unless we change things and because they all failed the fall of the six duchies is the pebble that starts the landslide and the forged ones spread everywhere yep but we can fix that because there's a farseer that no one sees in any future mm -hmm. except for me i guess one farseer with no name at all, unnamed in any history, past or future. But I have seen you take a name, Fitzchivalry Farseer, and I shall see that you deserve it. Um, is this a hint that he's going to take the name Tom Badgerlock? <laughs> <laughs> so the fool talks about the farseer name as well. 
Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this because he says, Why do they call you that, Fitz? What have your ancestors ever foreseen afar to gain such a name? Shall I tell you how it comes about? The very name of your house is the future, reaching back in time to you, and naming you by the name that someday your house will deserve, the Farseers. That was the clue I took to my heart, that the future reached back to you, to your house, to where your bloodlines intersected with my lifetime, and named you so. What do you think the Farseers is about? Do you think it has such big portents from the future that's reaching back? Because I don't really... I think that's mostly like the fool's faith in the destiny and mm-hmm. everything like that. I think it's mainly about the skill myself, like fairly mundane, but... Yeah. Or yeah. maybe it originated with Taker and he's like, oh, everyone's like, I'm a wise guy, like I'm mm-hmm. a farseer, you know? <laughs> I can I don't see know. far into the future and I will be a king. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know that there was like a universal meaning, like the universe gave meaning to the Farseer name by right. doing this. Um, I think the fool is putting importance on this because in my mind, he has had a vision in which far seeing of some sort has come into play and he's like, Oh, I'm on the right path because their name is literally Farseer because he talks about how he took the hint to heart, the Farseer name, which makes me feel like with how abstract his visions seem to be, there was something about seeing far, right? The sun that sees far that no one knows or something. (laughs) Um, but I don't know. I'm not really sure if there's deeper meaning to the name, Maybe when Robin Hobb was picking them out, they had a deep meaning. But in the context of this world, I think it just was old tiny people going, me see far, farseer. (laughs) (laughs) You know? I mean, (laughs) I don't think Taker was like caveman level, but I don't know. I'm not saying he wasn't. Considering they had, you know, seafaring capabilities and were able to conquer some of the native people on the you Six Duchies land. When the Vikings overtook England, trying to speak a new language to people who did not speak the same language, I'm sure it sounded a lot like me see far, far seer. <laughs> you know? So maybe it was just a translation thing. Yeah. <laughs> Fitz is not, like we've been saying, is not having any of this, and maybe it's the drugs kicking in, but a terrible cold was welling up inside me. I shook with it. My teeth began to chatter and the bright motes of light to sparkle at the edges of my vision. A fit. I was going to have another fit. Right here in front of the fool. Leave, I cried out, unable to abide the thought. Go away, now, quickly, quickly! I had never seen the fool astonished before. His jaw actually dropped open, revealing his tiny white teeth and pale tongue. A moment longer he gripped me, and then he let go. I did not stop to think of what he might feel at my abrupt dismissal. I snatched the door open and pointed out it, and he was gone. I shut it behind him, latched it, and then staggered to my bed as wave after wave of darkness surged through me. I fell face down on the coverlets. Molly, I cried out, Molly, save me! But I knew she could not hear me, 
and I sink alone into my blackness. Do you think the fool knew something was up? Or do you think he thinks this is, it's his total rejection of the plan? I think it's total rejection, kind of. I don't remember the next meeting that they have, so I guess I, I could be, I could bite my own tongue later on this, but I think it's fool being vulnerable for mm-hmm. the first time in a very, very, very long time. And Fitz being like, no, get out. And just yeah. shutting off everything. So he probably finds out shortly after that Fitz was poisoned or acting weirdly because he has his own. He, he saw Fitz right. down in Winterfest, I'm sure. and Something's up. <laughs> yeah. But I think in this moment, he's very hurt. Yeah. I do feel really bad for Fool in this moment. I guess because I like the fool and I don't like the reading of him being in pain. Um, We're in for a wild ride then. (laughs) Yeah, buddy, there's a big storm coming. Um, But I just, I think it hurts because, like you said, the fool is being vulnerable for the first time in a very long time. And... It does not go well. So, I don't know. I'm sad for him. We fade back in, in this next scene, in a very descriptive way. And then eventually in the middle of this paragraph, it says, The slow knowledge stole over me that this was no longer a dream. This was Winterfest. And I was wandering benignly through the celebration, smiling blandly at everyone and seeing no one. I blinked my eyes slowly. I could do nothing quickly. I was wrapped in soft wool. I was drifting like an unmanned sailboat on a still day. A wonderful sleepiness filled me. Beric meets him and... Is frowning. And is frowning and Fitz is just like, don't worry, it's all good. It's all good. (laughs) His voice always so deep, almost a color washing against me when he spoke. (laughs) He doesn't know what he's saying. But wow, what a nice voice. Yeah, everything's great. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I floated away from him, wafting through the room with the milling of the crowd. And like you were saying, this is starting to be very descriptive of uh, visuals instead Mm -hmm. of just his normal analytical thoughts. Right. And describes King Shrewd as made of paper. Mm -hmm. And the fool sitting on the step by his feet. Clutching a scepter like an infant clutches a rattle, and his tongue was a sword. And as the king's enemies drew closer to the throne, the fool slew them, slashed them to bits, and turned them back from the paper man on the throne. And then he describes Verity and Ketrikin, as pretty as the fool's doll, each of them, and saw that they were both made of hungers, like containers made of emptiness. I felt so sad I'd never be able to fill either of them, for they were both so terribly empty. And I thought that is true. Yeah. Very true. Very descriptive and unfortunate for both of them because Ketrikin wants to be loved and belong and and wants to lead and be a sacrifice and is missing all of those things right now from Mm -hmm. her life, from her marriage, from this position. And Verity wants the skill. Yeah. He wants to save his people too. And that, as we see in a later scene, 
to him seems kind of hopelessly funny and mm-hmm. hopeless in general. But the skill is a hunger that cannot be sated. Yeah. And it's hard because Fitz doesn't normally admit that he can't help these people, but also that it saddens him that he won't ever be able to. Yeah. It kind of feels like a a sort of giving up that he doesn't typically do. I feel like Fitz isn't one to shy away from giving up. <laughs> well, I want to say I don't think it's giving up to acknowledge that you'll never be able to help someone fill an empty hole in them. That's fair. I think it's just, it's a healthy acknowledgement that he can't, like, it's not healthy in the sense that he is drugged up and he probably won't remember these thoughts very well, but if he came to this on his own in a sober state of mind, that would have been a healthy realization that he can't do everything for these people. Yeah, that's true. It would be nice to have him make those realizations (laughs) not drugged up. So yeah, while it's incredibly sad and he doesn't usually acknowledge that i don't think it's necessarily him giving up on anything Mm. but it is an unusual line of thought for him definitely he does not think those thoughts like you mentioned before he doesn't say i can't help these i can't fix this especially with it when it's people he loves Mm -hmm. and then we have regal's description he was a big black bird not a crow no not so merry as a crow And not a raven. He hadn't the cheery cleverness of a raven. No. A miserable eye-pecker of a bird. Circling, (laughs) circling, dreaming of them as carrion for himself to feast on. He smelled of carrion, and I covered my mouth and nose with a hand and walked away from them. Which is a hilarious visual. (laughs) Of just, like, him kind of sadly staring at Ketrakin and Verity, but, like, thinking them really pretty as dolls, and then Regal comes up and he covers his mouth and nose and just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe not the safest thing to do. <laughs> but it is pretty funny. And very true. It's almost prophetic, the thoughts he's having right now. Yeah, I I don't know if it's prophetic either, because, like, this has been happening, and, like, yes. he knows of these plots. Yeah, I guess you're right. It just feels like... Maybe because we just got... Hold on, it feels prophetic because they don't do anything to change Regal's plots ever. Yeah, that's very... (laughs) They know of them through the whole whole books, and they don't do anything about them. It just happens. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess maybe it's just like coming off of the talk with the fool Mm -hmm. and then being dumped into somebody's high mind as they yeah, <laughs> as he, they waft through he blacks back in walking <laughs> through the great hall in winterfest <laughs> which also whenever it said that he was wrapped in wool i was like is he wearing his blanket right now <laughs> <laughs> and then i figured they don't ever mention it. Nobody says anything about him wearing right. a blanket. So I assume that was more just like a metaphor. But I truly believed for most of the scene until I reread it again that he is just walking around <laughs> wearing his blanket, just smiling. Oh, man. Fitzy <sighs> boy. And then he sits down on a hearth next to a giggling girl, happy in her blue skirts. So she is a serving 
uh, woman here mm-hmm. at the keep. She chattered like a squirrel and I smiled at her, and soon she leaned against me and began to sing a funny little song about three milkmaids. There were others sitting and standing about the hearth, and they joined in the song. We all laughed at the end, but I wasn't sure why. And her hand was warm, resting so casually on my thigh. Brother, are you mad? Have you eaten fish bones? Are you burned by fever? Huh? Fitz says aloud. (laughs) Your mind is clouded. Your thoughts are bloodless and sickly. You move like prey. I feel fine. Out loud. Yep. Do you, sir? Then I do, too. She smiled up at me. Chubby little face, dark eyes, curly hair peeking out from under her cap. Verity would like this one. She patted my leg companionably, a bit higher than she had touched me before. Fit chivalry! (laughs) (laughs) I looked up slowly. Patience was standing over me, with Lacey at her elbow. I smiled to see her there. She so seldom came out of her rooms to socialize, especially in winter. Winter was a hard time for her. I shall be so glad when summer returns and we can walk in the gardens together, I told her. (laughs) (laughs) And thankfully, Patience is there to get him out of this situation. Yeah, I'm sure they were like looking at him across the room like, what is that boy doing? (laughs) You know they've been watching him since he's entered this room before we even have a count of what was going on. And you know that Patience was sitting there like getting angry at her and why isn't he that why isn't that boy coming over to talk to me <laughs> uh-huh and then slowly the realization i can just imagine the slow realization of oh no <laughs> this oh no i'm sure it was about the time when he put his hand over his nose and mouth to walk away from a <laughs> prince regal <laughs> yeah. i have something heavy i wish carried up to my rooms will you bring it for me Certainly, I stood carefully. I need to go, I told the little servant girl. My mother needs me. I liked your song. Goodbye, sir, she chirped at me, and Lacey glared at her. (laughs) Patience's cheeks were very rosy. I followed her through the ebb and press of folk. The little, my mother needs me. Yep. And you know, normally that would mean a lot to Patience. (laughs) But right now she's just like, oh gosh. She's like, I'm glad he thinks that way of me, but I'm so worried about him right now. <laughs> Which recalls me to a scene in, I believe it's Tawny Man, when Fitz is sitting in the garden, and I think he's napping or something on a bench in one of the courtyards at mm-hmm. Buckkeep when he's come back. And he sees two older women walking through and started, one of them starting to pull up weeds. And he, he like helps them do something and he knows it's Patience and mm-hmm. Lacey. And Patience turns to Lacey and is like, you know, he would never do this to me, right? Like, he wouldn't do this to me. <laughs> and they like drag him to the room and he calls her mother and he's like, well, that's a great time for you to call me mother for the first time ever. Uh-huh. So I just thought like, oh, well, he did before, but I guess it doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, Fitz. Yes. And they come to stairs, and Fitz is like, I forget how to do these. (laughs) And where is the heavy thing you wish carried? That's my favorite part of this chapter. I got to the stairs. I forget how to do these. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Patience is like, Well, you completely disgraced yourself. There was an excuse to get you away. What's the matter with you? Are you drunk? And 
He says, I thought about it. Night Eyes said I was poisoned by fish bones, but I feel fine. Lacey and Patience looked at me very carefully. Then they each took an arm and guided me upstairs. Patience makes a tea that makes him throw up. Mm-hmm. It talks to Lacey a little bit. All about how he loves Molly and that he's going to mm-hmm. marry her as soon as the king says that he can. And she just patted his head and felt his, or patted his hand and felt his forehead. Yep. Which, uh, I mean, it must be a weird thing. Plus, he almost, like, I, in my notes, I put, like, he almost outed himself as witted because he says Night Eyes and they have no idea who Night Eyes is. Right. But, like. Because he is obviously drugged up. Yeah. They could dismiss it pretty easily. Yeah. Although maybe it's a they weird know. Thing to say. Yeah, maybe they know, and they're he's just lucky it's them that heard it. I I don't think they would know honestly. There's no there's no reason for them to connect anything. He's I been guess. he's been very careful about things with the wolf. So mm-hmm. I don't I feel like Beric and Verity and Chade suspect something, but Chade not right now with like a wolf. I just think Chade kind of suspects he might be witted or something like that mm, but yeah. i don't think patience and lacy would have a have a reason to but uh they make him puke a couple times <laughs> so i puked again i said i didn't want any more tea patience and lacy argued lacy thought says she thought i'd be all right after i slept she took me back to my room he wakes up in the middle of the night with the door open to shade's staircase mm-hmm. and he doesn't really know if it, that had been real at all yeah. or anything, his mind is still fuzzy. It's a little bit clearer than it was before, but it's still fuzzy. Yeah. He has trouble getting up the stairs, so Chade comes down and helps him up the rest of the way. And it's it's still a weird conversation because Fitz is still kind of... Open. Yeah. It's a, tight, it's a side of Fitz that we don't get to... Well, we get to see, kind of, but other people never get to see. Yeah. Just this relaxed, happy fits. Mm-hmm. Um, Immediately, his first words, I've missed you, I told him. And with my next breath, I told him, King Shrewd is in danger. He says, I think I might have been poisoned, seemed to be waking up in stages. And Shade says what we mentioned uh, last chapter, mm-hmm. is that it was the ash residue as he was cleaning out the king's rooms. So all of the concentrated drug that was burned at the bottom got on his fingers and he was eating pastries with the king and touching his face and eating at Winterfest or whatever and mm. <laughs> and that throwing up probably wasn't best for you but it's it would be great under any other circumstance but also Fitz why are you not washing your hands I understand this is like old timey but do they really not wash their hands that much that's gross <laughs> He must have washed up, but like, I don't remember a description of him washing up. Yeah, but they don't have descriptions of them going to the bathroom all the time either. So, well, that's fair. <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. But uh, Chade does set out vinegar water. Mm, that's fair to wash everything off. So maybe more of like this will literally kill everything on your hands. Just mm-hmm. get everything off. And he also washes his face. And he washes his face as well. So and it wakes him up. A little bit more. If it was like ash residue and stuff, it could have been very sticky and just like stayed on there. They probably don't have soap, really. They might have like sand scrub or something. Well, they have to have soap. They take baths. That's true. 
But I guess maybe that's like for baths only. Yeah, maybe it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't Ew. know. We'll Everybody have to, smells we'll, bad. We'll have to ask Robin Hobb about the uh... <laughs> cleanliness level, the hygiene yeah. practices of Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> first things first, Miss Hobb. Yes. Do they have soap? How often use? would you say that the per- a regular person in Bucky would wash their hands? <laughs> Fitz notices that Chade is looking pretty good. He's moving fluidly. He'd abandoned the cramps and the aches of an old man's body. Windburn color to his face and arms as well, the tan fading the pox stigma. I had once noticed his resemblance to Shrewd. Now I saw Verity in his face as well. Do you think this means that Verity takes after his father and uh, Chivalry takes after his mother? I think so, because they keep mentioning, like... The differences between them. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining Queen Constance as like a tall woman now because yeah. chivalry has the height. Yeah. And so does Fitz. I don't know. Shade is pretty tall too, though. Yeah. But he's also a half sibling of the king. So. Yeah. That could have come from his mother, who was a soldier's side. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. Don't know. Uh. <laughs> Chade is kind of having fun, like, hey, do you remember much of Winterfest tonight? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is where he's like, you should eat something, Fitz. Like, puking your guts out probably wasn't the best. But wash your hands first, basically. <laughs> he's like, you know, just eat something. No, you idiot. Wash your hands first. Haven't you heard a word I've said? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Fitz. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, food. <laughs> no. <laughs> but he does make a comment Fitz does make a comment here uh, it's been like an extended dream all day is this what Shrewd has been feeling I have no idea perhaps not all those burning herbs down there are what I think they are it was one of the things I wanted to, to discuss with you tonight how has Shrewd been has this come on him suddenly how long has Wallace been calling himself a healer and Fitz you know admits that he was stupid and Chade agrees mm-hmm. <laughs> but and he doesn't harp on it he no. says we can't change that now so let's yeah. just we can only salvage it move on so he uh kind of is theorizing why things might be advancing mm-hmm. and he's like maybe they thought lady time was his only defender so they're kind of moving out more in the open and you not caring made them more bold so maybe yeah. we can cut off the head of that snake a little bit easier since we drew them out of hiding. Except the head is regal, so good luck with that. Right. He says, I thought I could use Wallace as a tool. And I think I read this before um, in one of the chapters when we first talked about Wallace. But mm-hmm. I thought I could use Wallace as a tool, lead him subtly through the advice of others. He has little knowledge of herbs of his own. The man is a dabbler. But the tool I left carelessly lying about perhaps another employs now. We shall have to see. Still, there are ways to stop this. Which is interesting because Wallace, once, earlier on this page, was not originally calling himself a healer at mm-hmm. all. He was just a man that was easily manipulated that Chade put in, in his room because Cheffers died. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Chade put him in there to be manipulated because they didn't want a regal stooge in there originally, or at least Chade uh-huh. did not. So he was planning on, you know, leading him along to help the king and be influenced that way. Mm-hmm. 
but he left for a month or whatever. Yeah. A couple months. And somebody else got to him. Yeah. And this talk of a tool left carelessly alone is very reminiscent of how shrewd acted about uh fits yeah when he was younger like yeah. if you leave a royal bastard lying around somebody else can pick him up it's, and use yeah, him against me it's a tool for somebody mm-hmm. else and so it's really interesting this familial viewing of people as tools that it comes up again and again but i think like especially with this it's so similar to how we first encounter shrewd yeah that it's I don't know. I, I'm just drawn left thinking about shrewd and how similar he and his brother are. And then wondering whose words are those. <laughs> They've probably talked it back and forth that they have no idea either. <laughs> but also this does mean that Regal does remember that day and did pick up a lesson. So yeah. <laughs> good on him, I guess. <laughs> he's not entirely dumb. No, he's not dumb. He's just the worst. The worst. Yeah. They come up, well, Jade kind of theorizes a little bit of a, or hints at a little bit of a plan that they could do to stop this, and Fitz is in his head thinking about how he has to talk to Molly and apologize to the fool, and Jade's like, you know, sometimes you have to trust people to understand you are not perfect, which is a good bit of advice that Fitz kind of needs. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everything every time that he thinks he needs to apologize to someone, it's usually past the point that he should have apologized. Yes. He so, waits too long. It's kind of like a give and take. Like, it is good advice, and he does need to, like, mm-hmm. not be so hard on himself, but also... It feels like aware. <laughs> the times when he's not hard on himself are times when other people step in to not trust him. They don't understand that he's not perfect because he puts so much effort into putting on a show of being perfect and it's kind of his own fault for setting himself up for failure a little bit um but also it's unfortunate that every time he's finally like okay maybe i can relax and not worry about it then something happens and people are like how dare you do this thing but again it is partially because like you said, he waits way too long to apologize to people. So he's like, oh, well, nobody's bringing it up, so I guess it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Ugh, Fitz. Fitz is really tired, and Jade can see that, so he dismisses Fitz down, and Fitz is like, wait, why Why were you gone? And Jade's like, I'm not going to tell you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he gets dismissed there, and... Fitz, as he's leaving, again says, I've missed you, I mumbled as I headed toward the stair. And I you. But we shall have tomorrow night for catching up. For now, bed for you. So he heads down back to his room and decides to talk to Molly, to go to Molly Mm -hmm. tonight, because he's missing her and wants to talk to her and he wants to... I, I don't... I can't tell if he's going to explain himself about the serving girl or what, but he is kind of has that in his head. Like, I need to talk to Molly about what happened. And yet, as he goes there, he intends to be somebody who goes to bed in the early hours of the morning. Yeah. So it's kind of like a teenage boy version of, yeah. oh, for sure, I'm going to apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also still feeling the drugs a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
So he is discreet. He goes there. He taps at the door and heard no reply. But as I lifted my hand to tap again, the door swung silently open into darkness. It terrified me. In an instant, I was sure harm had come to her, that someone had been here and hurt her and left her there in the darkness. I sprang into the room, crying out her name. The door swung shut behind me, and hush, she commanded. I turned to find her, but it took a moment for my eyes to adjust to the darkness. The light from the hearth fire was the only illumination in the room, and it was to my back. When my eyes did penetrate the darkness, I felt as if I could not breathe. Were you expecting me? I asked at last. In a little cat voice, she replied, Only for hours. She skipped out on the festivities, which Fitz says, Oh, I expected you down there. He's like, mm-hmm. Well, no one would miss me except for one person. At least I thought. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Been here for hours. And I stood motionless and looked at her. She wore a wreath of holly atop the tumble of her hair. That was all. And she stood against the door, wanting me to look at her. She's been here, waiting yep. in her room, Fitz. When you were drugged up and wandering around, uh-huh. <laughs> des- describing the king as a paper man. <laughs> what a funny little paper man. And look, his son, the bird. <laughs> the smelly bird. Smelly bird and doll man. <laughs> it's, yeah, not great. I feel bad for her. I mean, to be fair, it's not like she grew up going to these festivities. Right. So there's probably not like she's not feeling like she's missing out on a whole thing. I mean, I'm sure they had parties down in the town, too. Right. Right. I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying like this specific party she's probably never been to anyway. So, you know, yeah, wouldn't feel like you're missing out on something cool. Although maybe it does a little bit feel that way. But fits. And it is so late. So she, I wonder if she like napped at all. Like, was she just like chilling nude in her room? Like, feels a little breezy. And also, what if. Maybe that's why the first knock didn't have her answer anything. She was just like under the covers, sleeping, like, oh man, someone's here. Wait, what? Let me get the holly crown on. This was different, not the exploring and inquisitive venture together that they had. This was a woman's frank invitation. It overwhelmed me and blessed me and somehow redeemed me from every stupid thing I've ever done. No, it doesn't. No, Fitz, this is not a forgiveness thing because you haven't asked for forgiveness yet. Winterfest, the heart of night's secret. Yes. She shook me awake before dawn and put me out of her rooms. And he is, um... He lays back down on his own bed just in time for Bjork to knock for the morning <laughs> lesson. <laughs> I sat down on my bed and dragged my shirt off. I dropped it to the floor. I fell back onto the bed and closed my eyes. A soft tap at my door jerked me upright. <laughs> Good, you're up and almost dressed. I was afraid from the way you looked last night that I'd be dragging you out of your bed by the scruff of your neck. <laughs> So Fitz remarks that Birik looks remarkably washed and fresh and ready to go, and the only sign that he had been drinking are the the wrinkles on his forehead, basically. Mm-hmm. Probably that he has a slight headache. <laughs> I knew that no matter how fierce a hangover he might have, he would still rise to face his duty. I sighed. No good asking quarter, for none would be given. <laughs> I thought that was a really funny line when I read it. <laughs> he finds a clean shirt. That's good. 
and mm-hmm. follows Birik to Verity's Tower for another lesson. And this is a full, I mean, going on a day without a full night's sleep. Yeah. Who knows how long he passed out for like the middle of the day? Because I'm sure it was like noon or one or something when he came back to the Fool. Right. In his in his rooms. And then he went down for Winterfest that night. So maybe he slept for five hours. Right. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but it was probably wasn't very restful sleep. No. And then he threw up like three times later. Yeah. <laughs> like, forcibly threw up. What a fun night. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not not very restful at all. And he's going up to practice the axe. So he's not in the mood for that. After an hour or so had passed, he stood shirtless and sweating. He couldn't really bring himself to guard against Beric anymore. He says, There's an odd threshold, physical as well as mental. There have been but a few times in my life that I have been pushed over it, but each time an extraordinary thing happened. That morning was one of those times. And that's that sentence right there, that morning was one of those times, is one of the few that I notice physically or I guess mentally, not physically, (laughs) that I am in a frame story or like a story within a framework because Mm -hmm. it's Fitz telling this down on pages. Right. And that that sentence there kind of calls me out of the present story and it's just like, you know, a double past tense. Yeah. In that sentence, even though it says like, I was still smiling as the door swung open and Mm -hmm. there's all these past tense in there. It's just... That morning was one of those times, just the little narrator's commentary. Yeah, which is pretty rare. I mm-hmm. mean, it's all through narrator commentary, but pretty rare that we realize that it is old Fitz talking mm-hmm. and not new Fitz living through. I just thought it was interesting to point out because I don't yeah. notice those very often. That's fair, yeah. They could be in there much more than I think, but that one I specifically noticed. I could no longer keep my axe up to guard myself. Beric came at me again, and I made no more than a token defense. He batted it aside with ease, and then came in swiftly. One, two blows. Not hard, but not softly, either. And you're dead, he told me, and stood back. He let the head of the axe sag to the floor, and stood leaning on it and breathing. I let my own axe thud headfirst to the floor. Useless. Within my mind, Verity was very still. I glanced over to where he sat staring out the window across the sea to the horizon. The morning light was harsh on the lines in his face and the gray in his hair. His shoulders were slumped forward. His posture mirrored what I felt. I closed my eyes a moment too, too weary to do anything anymore, and suddenly we meshed. I saw to the horizons of our future. I don't know if I want to read the whole next paragraph because I, I mean, I want to because <laughs> it all makes sense, but I'll, I'll take a little bit break there and kind of talk about how they're fully meshing here mm-hmm. with Fitz being fully pushed over the edge. All of his barriers are dropping and that's kind of what Galen was doing in a harsher way. Yeah. But Fitz kind of just did this to himself slash drugged himself accidentally and was exhausted by the time this came around. Yeah. This was what Galen was kind of trying to do, just making you so exhausted that you couldn't really do anything in defense and your Mm -hmm. mind couldn't prevent you from doing anything. So he's holding really nothing back from his connection with Verity at this point. 
And I think that's why they kind of just slip together. He's not only dropping his walls, but that line, his shoulders were slumped forward. His posture mirrored what I felt. I think it's that reverberation of feeling again, mm-hmm. the same kind of thing that called Night Eyes and Fits together. It's it's a common theme of if we're feeling the same way or thinking alike, we have a deeper connection together. Right. Yeah. And so he kind of sees what's happening through Verity's eyes. We were a country besieged by a ravenous enemy who came to us only to kill and maim. That was their sole goal. We strove to live our day-to-day lives at the same time we tried to protect ourselves from their destruction. The ravages were the day-to-day lives for the Red Ship Raiders, and that singleness of purpose was all they needed to destroy us. We were not warriors, had not been warriors for generations. We did not think like warriors. Even those of us who were soldiers were soldiers who had trained to fight against a rational enemy. How could we stand against an onslaught of madmen? What weapons did we have? I looked around. Me. Myself as Verity. One man. One man making himself old as he strove to walk the line between defending his people and being swept away in the addictive ecstasy of the skill. One man trying to rouse us, trying to ignite us to defend ourselves. One man with his eyes afar as we squabbled and plotted and bickered in the rooms below him. It was useless. We were doomed to fail. So, these thoughts are colored through Verity's lenses. This is Verity's thinking. Yes, yep. And... I kind of feel like this is the problem with Verity. Everything else everybody is doing is useless. I am the only thing standing between the red ships and my country falling to ruin. I mean, is he wrong? Kind of. If he were more involved in all the other things going on, maybe not the court intrigue and, you know, some other such things there would be more help i think the problem here what i find the problem to be is that verity doesn't even try to ask for help he's not looking for help he doesn't even see fitz as someone who can help and I understand that what he's doing is very important because it is, but he won't. Ketrickin is willing to help. There are other people out there who could be doing things. And instead he thinks it's useless because it's not the skill. And maybe that's a little bit of addiction telling him that he can only skilling is important. But the fact that he overlooks all of the other little things is I think why we get to where we get shrewd dying being a puppet of a man being controlled by regal who does not care about the duchies and only cares about gaining power for himself and because verity thinks of those problems as useless he's losing the battle at home before he can even get to the battle at the shores and i think that's his problem that's his blind side is thinking that because it's not war room talk it's not important you know 
again, my own personal opinion. Do you think that's what the fool thinks? Yeah. I think he doesn't have the foresight to realize that at home is just as important to protect as the coastline. Do you think that Verity, in his thoughts, that he doesn't think that's important because he can't do both? He can only do the one, so why should he have to focus on everything at home? Maybe. But that's not how responsibilities work. And he's a grown man and should know that by now. And maybe it's because he's lived a life of privilege, being a prince where it, the second prince at that, where it wasn't ever about thinking of the bigger picture. It wasn't about thinking of your own responsibility and how just because you're only good at one thing doesn't mean you can let the other thing slip. <laughs> I, I think it's just. He does recognize his shortcomings and tries to delegate out. Like right. He, his punishment was try to get Regal to raise money for everything, and that's something that he couldn't do himself. Right, but he also thinks it's all useless besides what he's doing, which will show to the people that you're trying to hire. And also, he's probably been a little absent-minded because he's mostly skilling all of the time. So I'm sure people have noticed, and that doesn't create the friendliest of work environments when your boss is like, I'm not very good at this, so you do it. And also, when you try to talk to me about it, I'm not going to listen. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's just frustrating. He just takes it to the extreme of, because I'm not good at it, I shouldn't have to do it, and it's useless. I don't think he's saying, like, the tasks themselves are useless. I think he's saying, even if we do all these things, it's useless because we're doomed to fail. I guess. I don't know. That's my reading out of it yeah. anyways. That's but. a nicer reading. <laughs> <laughs> the tide of despair swept over me and threatened to pull me down. It swirled around me, but suddenly, in the middle of it, I found a place to stand. A place where the very uselessness of it was funny. Horribly funny. Four little warships not quite finished, with untrained crews. Watchtowers and fire signals to call the inept defenders forth to the slaughter. Burek with his axe, and me standing in the cold. Verity stared out the window, while below, Regal fed his own father drugs. In the hope of stealing his mind and inheriting the whole mess, I didn't doubt. It was all so totally useless, and so unthinkable to give it up. A laughter welled up from inside me, and I could not contain it. I stood leaning on my axe and laughing as if the world were the funniest thing I'd ever seen, while Burek and Verity both stared at me. A very faint answering smile crooked the corners of Verity's mouth. A light in his eyes shared my madness. Boy, are you all right? Burek asked me. I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. I told them both when my waves of laughter had subsided. I pulled myself up to stand straight. I shook my head, and I swear I almost felt my brain settle. Verity, I said, and embraced his consciousness to mine. It was easy. It had always been easy, but before, I had believed there was something to lose by doing it. We did not meld into one person, but instead fit together like bowls stacked in a cupboard. He rode me comfortably like a well-loaded pack. I took a breath and lifted my axe. Again, I said to Birik. And he has a couple more bouts with Birik and bests him in all of them. Mm-hmm. 
he's envisioning Beric as a man coming to attack and kill Prince Verity. Mm-hmm. And uses that anger, and Beric's like, "Yeah, this is his. Uh, this is his weapon. Uh-huh. More drilling will make him better, but uh, the axe is his weapon." Verity nodded slowly, and he is mine. Fitz becomes Verity's weapon. It took a remarkably short time for them to get used to riding in his head, but right. uh, good for him. I mean, it's. A little bit of trial and error, but I think yeah. there's enough of a bond and trust built between the two of them that that's probably why it doesn't take as long. And an understanding of where they're coming from mm-hmm. for thoughts. So it's a very interesting chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get our first big peek into the fool's past. Yes. Even if it is uh, watered down towards Fitz the first time, Fitz mm-hmm. can still not believe it and it takes until like the th- what the last trilogy for Fitz to like kind of admit like hey yeah he kind of has this thing for it. I don't even it. know if he believes it then. <laughs> I think he I think he believes it even in the Tony Man trilogy. He just doesn't admit it to himself until like the, the last trilogy. <laughs> yeah. I think he believes it until it might affect him in some way and then he doesn't want to believe it anymore. He does believe it in the Tawny Man trilogy at the end because the fool is all like, I'm going to die at the end of this. And Fitz is like, no, you're not. I'm the catalyst. I can change the future. So I'm going to change you from dying. And the fool's like, yes, please. But also don't do that because this is the fool, the vision, the future I want. Uh-huh. <laughs> that interaction was always, it's funny thinking on it, but reading it is so frustrating because that yeah. that series is just so frustrating in their relationship. It's a wonderful, it's one of my favorite of the all of the series in this larger series of books. But I don't know. This chapter is uh I don't know. Pretty lighthearted kind of? Yeah, because it has it has some very comical scenes and yeah. like lines in it. But it also has a lot of information that first time readers don't really get right until this point so it's it's loaded up on things that are nice little easter eggs yeah particularly surrounding the fool but. Mm-hmm. And molly just like lets it go <laughs> been up here for hours yeah yeah i'm very surprised she didn't have a stronger reaction this chapter to me is such a weird one it it seems much different than others, mostly because a lot of things happen that don't normally happen. Um, mainly the fool talking a lot and Fitz being super drugged up and not in a <laughs> deathly way. <laughs> but I think overall this this chapter has like a dreamlike quality that almost mm-hmm. the way I read it is a lot like in the Harry Potter movies uh, where they are looking at memories where they're oh, like standing. The yeah, when they're standing and watching the memory happen around them, where it's all a little bit fuzzy around the edges, mm-hmm. but some parts are clear. That's what this reading this is like for me. Yeah. I mean, the majority is of, well, the majority is, I think, the conversation with the fool, mm-hmm. but the second largest chunk is him being drugged up, describing yeah. things. Yeah. It also is very hairy taking Felix's. The Felix Felicis yes. in the sixth movie. Felix Felicis. Yeah. Yeah. Very that type of attitude with the background being fuzzy. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a it's a fun chapter. Yeah. I like this one. So do you think? Uh, I think I say that every time. <laughs> so do you think Fitz is happy? Yes, I can definitively say yes in this one. Like Gets five together for with, forty-two. Yeah, <laughs> Jade is back, and he's worried about the king, but. Everything comes together with Verity. Everything comes together with Molly. <laughs> and he kind of got night eyes, like, to not announce his presence when he's with yeah. Molly, at least. <laughs> okay, at the very least, could you not say nice? nice. <laughs> a running commentary of what's happening. Uh. <laughs> just a wrestler, just in your head. Brother! <laughs> oh, yeah, brother, this is nice. <laughs> I, th- I found it funny in the beginning of this chapter uh, when he is talking with Night Eyes. Fitz is like, and he had a very like upfront way of speaking about mating and my mate in general, which was not very comfortable for me. But Night Eyes mm-hmm. didn't get it. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh. oh, Fitz. Thank you for listening. If you have anything to say to us about motivations for any of the characters in this chapter or any of the things that we discuss, please reach out and let us know. And. Uh, We'll see you in the next one. Okay, so now we get to talk about the stuff you brought to our attention this past week. And we're going to start with our Facebook comments. Mm -hmm. Starting with Vanessa. Vanessa was listening to our conversation about whether cultivating a pleasant life could make the pull of the skill less strong. And this made them think of how the two wise ones that go to jean Pei end up staying with a family that they create and mm-hmm. just quit their quest to make the skill dragon. And the, the song says they're the wisest of them, mm-hmm. possibly. And they bring up that not every person is susceptible to yeah. such addictiveness like yeah, i don't know there's, like addiction affects people differently yeah some people don't have as addictive of personalities as others mm-hmm. um which i think is the clinical term yeah. <laughs> um but it is a really good thing to point out that addiction affects people in different ways and that if magic is supposed to be something that is addictive it's pretty safe to assume that regular addiction rules apply yeah and since this conversation was in context with when we were talking about, I think when Verity was keeping himself so busy to mm-hmm. prevent him, like if he could have been enjoying in more pleasures and things like that, it would stave away the the urgings as well. But the Farseers in general, we've seen have a an issue with addiction. Right. Yeah. Of various it's, sorts. <laughs> of various, yeah, various sorts. I think it's safe to assume that they have ad- addictive personalities mm-hmm. and that even if Verity had a fulfilling life, it would still be hard for him. Yeah. It, it seems like overall, both staying super busy as you can and leading a pleasant life don't work that well. But if you don't have that addictive personality, it could work for you. Yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> it's one of those one size does not fit alls. But I think it also opens the door into thinking about maybe the type of people that are skilled Mm -hmm. or are known as skilled. Like maybe it's easier to ignore the call of skill if you have a fulfilling life or you're happy. Yeah, maybe. And therefore the people that they get just happen to be the people that are usually (laughs) 
more depressive <laughs> in general. But we don't know. But it was a great thing to point out that mm-hmm. some personalities don't take to addiction the same way as others. Yeah. So thank you for that. And we had a comment on episode 41, which was last chapter on Winterfest from Joel. And he's saying that uh, he's commenting on our discussion of Fitz being influenced by a lot of different things um, and how the last book of this trilogy, Emma was saying that he kind of makes rash decisions and it's all over the place and how, you know, it's Joel's canon that Shrewd skills loyalty into him when he gives him the pin. Verity subconsciously skills the patriotism. The trauma of Whitbonding Young and losing Nosy twice and Smithy and a dozen near-death experiences plus actually dying and everything like that just kind of affects that state of mind. Mm-hmm. And he also wants to, which I thought was was very true, like all of that would affect somebody drastically. Right, yeah. And change your perspective on a lot of things. <laughs> yeah including living like a wolf for, you know, True. a month or whatever. That would you definitely change your perspectives a little. <laughs> and then he brings up Verity. He says, I love him. He's a brilliant, tragic character, but he's a terrible son. And he goes on to explain that his dad has been sick for a long time. He never visits. And then even when he sees Shrewd through Fitz's eyes, he still doesn't do much to change anything in Fitz's, or in Shrewd's life, excuse yeah. me. Which... Is also true, but Evan and I were kind of talking, and I brought up if if he tells Shade, or if he and Shade have that conversation with each other, or if they have any communication, he could just kind of pass that along, like, hey, really help Shrewd out here. He's in a rough shape. Right. But I do agree with Joel and think that it's yeah. pretty crappy that he doesn't, like, make sure that that is working. Or, like, visit him more. Yeah. <laughs> I also... I think that they have a pretty bad relationship, which has been pretty clear throughout. But I wonder if the grieving of the death of chivalry is part of that. Like, maybe there's a lot of blame there on both parties, yeah. and that just separates their relationship more. I think it was a very strong they, yeah. relationship to begin with. I don't think they have a very strong relationship. And the only like insight we got into that was the breakfast that mm-hmm. both of them were at with Fitz there too. Yeah. Where I, it was obviously an argument that they've had repeatedly yes. and they didn't like it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the problem is Verity could never live up to the other two sons right and he knows it and it's probably a sore spot and shrewd probably never denied it he'll never admit it but he'll never deny it just yeah. like shrewd you know and so i think that probably doesn't help their relationship i i still don't th- i think it's a bit rash to not help your aging dying father but i feel like maybe it comes from a place of hurt and yeah just their relationship wasn't good to begin with and so it's hard to then try to bridge it in the last runs Mm -hmm. (laughs) when there's a lot of other things going on so i don't think it's great but i also kind of understand i guess yeah thanks for those comments joel yeah and now we're going to move on to instagram ba jenkins wrote in to talk to us about fits his loyalty <laughs> yep the same kind of influence that we're we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. actually and they bring up how this isn't the first time something weird like this has happened 
whenever Fitz shares a subconscious with Shrewd in jean after he comes out of it, he goes from being a scared teenage boy to a royal. He's commanding people. Yep. He forgets his place, so to speak, which is a really interesting read looking back now because we were just thinking it was because of how he was treated in jean Yeah. But it could just be how susceptible Fitz is to other people and their their view yeah I'm, i guess their worldview and their attitudes and yeah um the only thing that i like really doesn't jive super well is that how long of an influence is this because it takes him like a month to get back from john pay to right. buckkeep and that's the only place that we see fitz acting like that really right but he is very close with Birik and with hands and he was kind of shut in from all their travels mm-hmm. and didn't interact with anybody else so maybe just Fitz's solidified view of how he acts with Birik and Hans was kind of set and wasn't influenced by mm-hmm. Shrewd's worldview, and it only like came about when he went to the guards. I don't know. Well, we see him kind of take up this stance again whenever he is in Shrewd's room again. Right. Yeah. Um, he orders Wallace about. He cleans the room and doesn't care. He oversteps the boundary whenever Verity breaks the wall of. You shouldn't let him talk to you that way. It floods back into him being. So I don't know. It's really interesting just to think about how susceptible Fitz is to changing based on the people around him and the experiences they skill into him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) B. Jenkins also asks if we have seen anything else like that. Any other influence kind of change somebody's perception? And I can say that I haven't, at least off the top of my head. But I definitely want to keep an eye out. And if you guys out there have seen anything that is just at odds with different characters' personalities after a certain event, let us know. We can we can take a look at it, too. Right. I, I do want to point out, which I'm not sure if this is the case, but Galen's Coterie, they all seemed like decent people before the training. And I don't know if that's <laughs> a kept skill sharing, command. <laughs> kept sharing minds with Galen, and uh-huh. then all of a sudden... Or if that's trauma bonding and being told you're better than everyone else, but not as good as me for years. Could be a little bit of both. Yeah. I don't know. So that could potentially be. Another moment. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he was very effective at his cult initiations. Yes. And emotional manipulations. He was all about getting them to wear the matching shoes. Yeah. I think that's all we got for today, though. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in. Yeah, it's been fun to hear from you guys. We love hearing your theories. Keep them coming. (laughs) 